Thank you so much for joining me on the Broad Place High Grade Living Podcast. My name is Jackie Lewis, and I'm a co-founder of the Broad Place, which is a school for greater consciousness, clarity, and creativity. These podcast interviews have been created to bring the philosophy of our book, High Grade Living, to life for you. I share the ways in which people bring their version of a high-grade life into being, exploring creativity and consciousness. Our aim is that you walk through the book and listen to this podcast and take all the pieces that are relevant to you to create something nurturing that can inspire and hold you for the future. The tools and exercises within the High Grade Living book and this podcast can be explored with as much broadness as you please. We've designed this not to be too prescriptive, but so that it becomes a baseboard for you to leap off to into your unique path to high-grade living. Your path to a high-grade life is a life aligned with your higher self and love. It's unique to you, and we hope to inspire you to seek that authenticity. And today we dive into the world of Nina Kanakowski. Nina's a travel writer, she's an author, a sustainability advocate, and also a creativity mentor. So she spent a decade as a travel writer for some of Australia's most respected and prestigious publications. And then she also published a book called Make a Living Living, Be Successful Doing What You Love, which is a book that we speak about in the podcast that I really recommend everyone uh, gets a hand, gets their hands on because it's for anyone wishing to build a successful career doing what they love outside of the nine to five. And she's interviewed, she interviews 26 self-made creators from around the world. It's really, really well done. And soon to launch her book, Go Lightly, How to Travel Without Hurting the Planet. Um, The other thing that Nina does is she mentors and helps people that are passionate about what they do, uh, unearth their creativity. And she's very much about purpose-driven careers and living the life that you love. So she's a wonderful person to interview for the High Grade Living podcast because it's something that she aligns with naturally, but also in her work. I hope you enjoy. So thank you, Nina, for jumping on the podcast with me today. What we're going to thank do- you so much for having me, Jackie. Hi. <laughs> uh, what we're going to do today is explore the chapter in the High Grade Living book, which is expanding your creativity. And one of the key components that I really wanted to ask you about today is going to be around creativity as an expression and the things that block it. So you've recently published your beautiful book, Make a Living Living. And obviously in that book, what you did was you interviewed a whole bunch of amazing creatives and looked at their processes and how they brought themselves to their creative uh, output. Are there any learnings, first of all, let's dive into, I really want to explore your book as well. Let's dive into the book. Are there, are there any like key obvious learnings about the creative process and creative blocks that you noticed from talking to all the people that you interviewed? So many, um, but I think the overarching one that I really loved was, and this is going to sound almost a little bit cheesy, but it is just do it actually just doing the thing as opposed to posturing about it and really mulling it over. And I think a lot of us really love the idea of being creative and having these creative processes and launching a a business and all these sort of things, but actually doing the thing is Mm. what teaches you the most. So there's this beautiful couple in there. Uh, They have a brand called Hund Hund that is based in Berlin. And they said that quote to me. They were like, the best piece of advice that we have for anybody, it's a sustainable fashion company. And they were like, it is 
It is just do it. Just doing the thing teaches you the most. So whatever it is that you want to do, diving into it and actually giving your whole self to it is is in itself the greatest teacher. And I really loved that because I just so often speak to people who are like, okay, so how do I learn this thing? What is, what, how do I, what do I need to, what classes do I need to go to? What, what things do I need to learn? And it's like, well, actually just throwing yourself in the ring and learning on the go and being nimble. That was a piece of advice I had when I first left a full-time job and went out to be on my own as a freelancer. Somebody told me that just be nimble, just do the thing, go out there, build the website, give it a go. And you just have to learn on your feet. And I really love that idea. But mm. there's so many other things people in there who have an incredible Riyadh in Morocco, this Parisian couple called Le Riyadh Jardin Secret. And they talked about, you know, don't copy anybody, just stay true to yourself make sure that you are always staying true to your own voice, your own vision, always questioning, is this me or is this something that I'm trying to do? They said, you know, that inauthenticity, people can feel that, they can smell that. And that is why they do absolutely everything for their business. You know, they're still years later, they're taking all the photographs, they are doing their own website, they're doing all the reservations, they are there to greet the guests. Like it is their essence. And you can really, if you look it up on Instagram, I mean, these, this place is just, it is them. And you can understand that completely when you see them, you see the place. And we all know that. I mean, whenever you travel and you, you stay in places, you can feel if it's just, oh, okay, I'm supposed to be doing the minimalism thing now. I'm going to build a business around that versus this is the full expression of somebody. So I think that's really important too. How you get to that authenticity is another question, which I think that's where the idea of play really comes in. Because a lot of people are always like, well, how do I find my thing? How do I find my passion? How do I find my authentic voice? And I think the answer there is really, again, getting in the ring. You know, creativity is a thing I really believe that feeds on itself. Mm -hmm. So it is just starting to do creative things. Like I remember at a certain point I was feeling really blocked with my writing. And so I thought, okay, what is one thing that I have always wanted to do? I wanted to learn how to make candles. So I went and I bought the wax and I went to the candle shop and I got this little lesson from the guy and I started to make these candles. And honestly, I mean, the candles weren't anything that I wanted to create a business out of or work into my writing or anything, obviously, but the act of doing that just gets those creative juices flowing. And from there, you can feel the spark within yourself. And it is just this self-perpetuating thing. It's an energy. It mm. really is. And I think we can build that. We can foster that. We can build that through the way we dress or the music we're listening to or the way we're cooking and all those sorts of things. I think you, if you're bringing that creative spirit to that, it then feeds into your work. Mm. And I think spirit's such a beautiful word because 
a lot of the time, I think what happens is people go, oh, I'm not, I mean, we, I hear it all the time with the workshops and the work that we do. And it's, oh, I'm not creative. I'm like, everyone has the capacity to be creative. And it's not just doing watercolors or uh, it, it's, it's how do you apply that spirit to every moment in your life? And I love that you, they're the things we believe in. Say like how you dress, how you present, how you might put things together in your house. And can I ask you for, your creative process, one of the key pillars of what we're talking about in the book is that uh, there needs to be an auditing process and then an editing process is one of the key things. And it's actually removing things as opposed to adding in more things. Is mm. there anything that just while we're sort of sidebarring this, is there anything that you think is important to do, like get rid of in regards to creating more uh, creative expression? Does that make sense? So is there anything that you say, you know what, I say no to these things because it allows me to feel more creative expression? A hundred percent. Okay. So in my book, I have eight exercises mm -hmm. peppered throughout that, that help the reader harness that creativity for themselves so that they can kind of go off and do the things that these people have done in the book. And, um, one of the first exercises is about mind mapping your life. So that is about tapping into exactly what you're talking about, Jackie, with the um, time, energy, and money. Because those are the three biggest things that always people would say like, oh, I want to go off and do this thing, but I don't have enough time, energy, or money. So I came up with this idea of mind mapping it. So you put, you write down those three words and then out of them, you put branches listing the drains of that particular resource. Mm. So once you've written down all those drains, I mean, money, it can be literally going through your bank statements and going, okay, where, where are the, where is the money coming out of? What am I spending most on? What can I do without so that I can actually build up a little nest egg, which is so important if you are wanting to say, go from, you know, a big illustrious corporate career and then go off and do something creative. You do. The reality is you need to build up a nest egg. How are you going to do that that's the way you start editing your finances energy if you're sort of saying okay I, I don't the creative inspiration is not there you write down it again those drains what what is draining your creative energy and, and also more importantly than that your time you know I, I hear that a lot as well oh, I just don't have time to go and start this thing and you know again there are a lot of realities in life but I think if you go through and go oh gosh actually where are those three hours at the end of the day going and do I need to watch two hours of Netflix or can I reclaim some of that and really use that time and block it out and just make sure that you dedicate yourself entirely in that time to your creative pursuit. You know, it's a choice. We all have a choice to go through and edit that out. It does take some discipline, which is not a sexy word in the creative realm, but it really does take that. It really does. And when I went from uh, full-time in-house at a publishing company to being a freelancer, I did exactly that. I realized, okay, gosh, gonna have to make some decisions here. So I did things like I stopped going to the hairdresser. I didn't buy the car that I was going to buy. I did all these things where I was like, okay, what is, that's not a sacrifice to me. At that time, I remember thinking the biggest sacrifice for me would be not 
giving what I wanted to do a real red hot go. And so going through the editing process was actually a huge gift to myself. Yeah, beautiful. And I, I love the concept mm. of pausing as opposed to quitting. I don't love the word quit. Mm. Uh, like, oh, I'm going to like have to like stop watching Netflix forever. It's like, no, while you're trying to execute and create something, you might pause something for a period of time. Is that something that you do as well? So it's like yes, I, you've got um, like a deadline or a, something that you're working on and you think, okay, what do I need to edit out just for this maybe eight or three, you know, eight weeks or three months period? Jackie, a hundred percent. I mean, you know what it's like, particularly with say birthing a book or something that is a sort of finite length of time like that. You really have to go, all right, for the next three months, I just need to be a little bit brutal with my schedule and just give myself, as you say, a pause with certain things. So for example, I just finished another book and it was a three month window. It was quite short. So I just had to go, okay, I'm going to pause a lot of my socializing and just be really firm with my boundaries around that and say I'm working on this project that I'm so excited about and that I'm really prioritizing birthing so I'm just going to have to say no to that for a while mm. I'm going to go okay what else can I can I pause for the time is it is it watching three films a week? Am I just going to watch one? Uh, all those little things. Am I, here's another example. I thought I realized so much of my time was spent creating meals and food and all those sorts of things, which I love to do, but it was going, okay, so maybe I'm only going to do that once a day. And I'm, and I'm actually going to set a little budget aside to go and make sure that I can get my food from elsewhere so that it's faster, more streamlined. It's just all those little adjustments mm. to actually give ourselves more spaciousness and this real gift of time to create the thing that you want to create. Yeah, beautiful. It's, remember I wrote that letter, you and I were walking in the national park and I was talking about the cookbook, which I still haven't got finished, but I, I was saying I had this two week glorious window with nothing scheduled because it came up as a surprise, including parenting for two weeks. And I was like, yeah, I feel like I should just really take it easy post COVID and moving, you know, countries and, or I could work on the book and you with straight, I'm sort of like trying to eat out of you this response where you would give me permission to take two weeks off. And you just said flat out, what's wrong with you? Like, what do you want to achieve at the end of the two weeks? Like sit your ass in the chair, work from nine to five on it, get it done. And, and it was one of those, and I wrote a letter about it and it was really interesting. The responses flowed back in from that letter. And a lot of people were like, oh, that doesn't sound like the creative process to me. And it doesn't sound like flow. A lot of people said, this is what I do uh, and confirmed that they have to have that tight discipline. And for me, I wish there was just a straight, like, ABC, like a structure that everyone could follow to live their highest grade life, but it does involve a level of experimentation and push and pull. Mm -hmm. For you, have you found then that this like really strict, strict discipline for moments in time actually creates more flow through that life and track life um, philosophy? You know what? I really resonate with what you're saying in that I think it's, it's different depending on the person. It's also different depending on the phase that you are in. Mm. Like I was just saying that three month period where I had to create this book, I was really deep in it. And I remember after we had that walk, um, just a few weeks after that, I had been really pushing the next book because I was like, okay, that one's done. I'm going to stay in this discipline. I'm going to keep doing it this way. And I remember talking to you and saying, wow, it's, 
sticking. It's like there's a stickiness and I can't move forward with this project. And I realized it was because actually I was in a different phase. I actually needed to uh, step back a little bit and create that, that more organic flow that the regimented discipline is not always useful for. So I think there's a level of intuition that goes there too. And it's almost that I think when you're when you know exactly what you have to do and you're just simply kind of executing it, that's when the discipline's good. And then when you move into that more kind of um, you know the juicy kind of dreaming phases where you're playing around and all of that, that's when you need to untether yourself a little bit more. And that's where things like you know prioritizing, as Julia Cameron talks about in the artist's way, artist dates. And all those sorts of things with yourself where you actually go, okay, today I feel like I need to go and hike in nature. I need to bring some of this creative juice into my life. Or maybe I'm going to go to an art gallery and see, see some art, just something to kind of fill me up and to bring that juice back in. In the book we talk about, we call them creative excursions. So... Mm. It's basically, even in the city that you live in, um, we've recommended, like, even if you need to buy a tourist guidebook for the city that you live in, because you're like, oh, I know the city inside out, there's a realm of things that you won't actually know about. And going on these creative excursions and seeing other people's creative output sort of ignites the fire within you for the flat spots. Um, so I love that you do that as well. Can I just circle back around to the creativity blocks? If you were... I mean, you've been writing for a very long time. It's over a decade, isn't it now? Two decades. It's, it's over, over a decade, let's over say. Over a that. decade. <laughs> um, and so you've got the, the nuance and you've got the know-how of working through those sort of those flow states and that stagnancy. If someone was brand new to this, so hypothetically someone had been, you know, hit sideways by COVID and had, like everyone has, but had decided like many have is, oh, I'm going to start up my own new creative side hustle or creative project or whatever it is. And then they hit sort of their first creative block. Is there anything for a, someone new to the creative process that you would recommend aside from, say, a creative excursion to get them out of that creative block? Yes. And this also comes from somebody who I interviewed for Make a Living Living. Her name is Julia Khan Anselmo. And she has a beautiful, it's like a supper club, uh, also working in creative workshops and uh, speaking for really inspiring people. And anyway, she, before she had started Feisty Feast, and she also has a beautiful fashion brand now called Lasso, which is like small, sustainable, handmade, all of that. Before that, she had been an art curator and she had studied for that. She had worked in various galleries. She finally got her dream job in curating at this gallery and then she got made redundant, which is the point that so many of us are finding ourselves in right now. So she then was like, that's everything I've worked for. And now what am I, what am I doing? And she was at home. She couldn't feel what the next thing was. She felt completely blocked. So what she did was simply step back and observe herself. And she said, just simply doing what I wanted to do for a period of time, she allowed herself a few weeks to just do what she wanted to do. 
And she noticed what she was doing all the time was cooking and entertaining and trying to facilitate good conversations between her friends. And she's like, ah, okay, that's interesting. So let's kind of earmark that and see, can I create a business out of that idea? And that's how Feisty Feast was born. And I really just love that idea. I think we can all take the stance of the curious observer with ourselves and just kind of, if we can allow ourselves the time, which is always the hard part, because you feel like, oh, I need to be producing, I need to be doing something. But I think if you can step back, again, bring in that sense of play, that sense of experimentation that we've been talking about and observe yourself, you can see those threads. And if you can just pull on those threads of delight, I think that's how we find our, our thing. That's where it really lies. There's a really wonderful uh, Brooklyn-based food writer um, called Alison Roman, and she does these brilliant newsletters that I absolutely love because she's, it's just her tone of voice, and it's basically just a story about a meal that she cooked that week, how she went about it, um, some sort of not polished but lovely uh, makeshift photographs. You know, they're not like art-directed and overstyled. But it's such an entertaining way in which to learn about cooking and to feel her creative expression of that. And it's done on the fly. Like it's not, you know, it's mm. such a wonderful way. And, you know, she talks about how she's had to develop this during COVID because obviously all the mechanisms that are normally available to her as a recipe writer and a and a chef aren't available. So she sort of mm-hmm. ad hoced her way through it. And it's ended up being, I mean, I love it more than all of her other writings. It's ended up being this um, a very lateral approach to being able to express what she normally does, but in a really different way. And it's just so, I think that sometimes the challenge, the, the thing that the, what, the very thing that we're, you know, having a tight constricted throat, having a heart attack over ends up being the channel for our better creative work because it comes out of need rather than out of a Pinterest board or what we think we should be doing. Mm, I love Mm. that. Yes. And I'm actually reading an incredible book at the moment called From what if to what is, and it's all about that kind of approach, like that what if approach. Mm. You know, I think we're all finding ourselves in a situation where we really have to, you know, that funny phrase pivot uh, at the moment. <laughs> and I think that's, that's where the really incredible things are happening from people who it, it, we're not operating from a place of fear, but from a place of what if, what if I did it this way? What if, and just bringing that really different kind of skewed approach. And this book talks all about how it was actually written before COVID, but he talks about, we are living in a time when we're saturated with social media, with the rising levels of CO2, all these kind of things that are kind of clouding our brains. Mm -hmm. And he said, his argument is we need to bring that sense of play and that creativity and that what if mindset to everything we do to unlock the creative potential. This We're living in a time when we need more creative thinkers than ever before. So how do we get that? And he talks about all these incredible studies with children and how they play and then talking about in the workplace as well. And if we can bring that through, through all the things that we've been talking about, through experimentation, through asking the what if questions, you know, you can take 
any situation, I, I believe no matter how dire really and go, what if I looked at this as an opportunity? What are the, what are the most wild outcomes that I could think about? What are the most wild approaches and play with that? Give, yeah. give different, you know, test the boundaries. And I think um, that that's really the, the best way to approach it. And, and COVID's given us that. It's given us, it's forced us whilst also feeling flat and grieving. Um, it's forced mm-hmm. us to become unbelievably unattached to being right because we don't know what the right way to do. I mean, you know, you launched your book during COVID. We're launching high grade living uh, in a pandemic and the, the normal rules and the normal mechanisms in which to do that aren't available. So you are forced to, okay, think left and, and, and zigzag and, um, you know, impl- and become really playful with what if we did like this, even though you, we might not have considered it before because the obvious, the answers were more obvious. It was sort of, there was a blueprint on how to do everything and now the blueprint's been scrunched up and thrown away. Um, and so I yes. think that if, yeah, if we can move through it, with that playfulness as well, then it releases mm. us from this need to be right, do it the right way, which is really anti-creative. It's not, mm. you know, following like, it's like Tetris, it, like getting all the blocks to fall into the right places isn't the creative process at all. It's sort of throwing them all on the floor and figuring out the new way in which they go together. Have you found that, I mean, obviously, you know, part of what you do has been a travel writer. Um, have you found that, COVID has forced you to look at things in an entirely new way that you never thought of before? Oh, Jackie, yes. I mean, travel (laughs) is the industry that's been hit the hardest. And um, I definitely went through the period of trying to keep those blocks tessellated in the way that I had them before. And okay, international travel is going to come back any moment now and really kind of you know, clutching onto that. And exactly Mm. as you say, that is so not the creative approach. And that's where that real stickiness was coming in and things weren't flowing. And so now I'm in the throw the blocks on the floor and really look at different opportunities. I am looking at, that's how my next book came about. It's all about sustainable travel, how we do things better. I looked at the industry and went, okay, how do we rebuild a better travel world from this and really reimagined things and went, okay, how can I help other people access that? Because we can't go about things the way we were doing that before. So I would encourage everybody listening to this right now to go, okay, what are the outdated models that don't apply in the new world? You know, we are in the rubble of a, of a world that has just been torn apart and we need to use that rubble to rebuild so how can you do that in your industry how can you do that using your creative skills and you know there is probably going to be this period of stickiness particularly financially as i've been discovering but slowly but surely these opportunities arise if you really put your attention there and look for the opportunities and there are this is a time of immense opportunity as well because people are looking for those new systems and we're all trying to figure it out together. So really there couldn't be a better time for this sense of play. And I think also an evening of the playing field to a degree, I was talking to one of my uh, students' clients who's in London and we were sort of likening what's happened to the Formula One. I don't know if you've seen the Formula One, uh, F1, the series, but I became, Aaron and I became obsessed with it after not actually being Formula One watchers whatsoever. But it was this <laughs> idea of, you know, essentially what was happening was the, the people with the most money won. 
you know, so if you had the most money, you had the fastest car, therefore, as a driver, you would win. Um, obviously, an immense amount of skill goes into it. But there's always been this discussion of imagine if all the drivers were in the same exact same car, who would actually win? And I was talking to this um, student of mine about this and he was saying in the industry he works in, which is finance, there's been an evening of the playing field because now oh. it's actually not who can jump on a plane and schmooze the hardest and take people out. It's who is actually the, the, the most, the bravest, um, good, really good at their job, um, willing to think laterally, willing to be creative and playful with how they approach things, which traditionally I think a lot of people go, oh, finance isn't creative, but of course it is because it's all about problem solving and lateral thinking. And so I loved this idea. Um, I've been playing with it so much, this like, evening of the playing field where now we're all sort of shoulder to shoulder creatively, as opposed to it being a hierarchy of who has more resources and who has more money and who can travel more and who can, you know, and I, that statistic yes. that you shared which, with me, which was that only 6% of the entire population has actually been on the plane, which still mm. to the day daily rocks me. Whenever I have a moment of, oh, I wish I could travel, I'm like, well, you're in the 6% that's even been on a plane, mm-hmm. so check that. Right. Um, and yes. do, you, do you think that this, um, for you as a creative, there's this, if we take this sort of lateral shoulder-to-shoulder approach, um, where I'm going with this <laughs> long-winded sidebar is do you think that it's enabled you to communicate with people more evenly because there's no longer a sense of maybe competitiveness or like climbing up sort of, you know, the food chain and now everyone's literally still and, you know, stuck where they are. Have you found that those conversations that you're having with maybe colleagues or other authors has been joyful and interesting as you kind of help yes. each other? What's your been yes, what's your yes. been your experience? Well, I think that it is an incredible time for collaboration, is mm. what I would say. And I think everybody is in the same boat. Everybody, I mean, particularly in the travel industry, we're all going, okay, how are we going to do this? Hey, what about if we try and do this thing together? What can we do together? How can we raise this up? And how do we, what does the world need right now? How can we work together to try to create that? Because a lot of people, let's face it, have extra time on their hands and Mm -hmm. are looking for ways to generate more income. So that's another thing that I would encourage anybody to do is like, look around you, look in your community, who is, is in a similar situation to you, who you think maybe you could work together with to create something. I think that idea of us just being so independent and so looking out for ourselves, that is something that I'm really pleased has fallen apart during the pandemic because we do, we need to work together. Mm. And it actually reminds me, there's an incredible um, Japanese guy in my book. His name is Yuichi Takuchi and he is a Japanese tiny home builder. And he had this idea of... Um, making the things in life that you want rather than buying them, right? And that was his whole approach to creative living. He used the example of, you know, if he wanted a lamp, instead of going out and buying the lamp, he would go to a workshop and he would learn how to make the lamp. And therefore he would have a whole new skill. He would have this thing that he would treasure forever. And I just love that approach because also he said that really this idea of bringing community in, he said, I've never had so much collaboration and community around me since I've started doing that approach. And since I've started living with less, 
because mm. now I can rely on the people around me. And this is a situation that we are all in at the moment. We're really having to lean on people and it's not comfortable for most of us living in, you know, the developed world where we think I have to do it all myself, but there's something so beautiful about going, you know, for him, it was like, okay, um, that person's got vegetables, but I can help them do something in their home. Or, you know, he wanted to create a documentary about a tiny home building, which he did do, but in it, he didn't pay the people. They all exchanged goods and services in order to create the documentary. And I just was so inspired by that because that's another approach we can all take right now going, what mm -hmm. skills do I have that I can almost barter for something or how do we work together and that sense of community if if there is one thing that can bring us lasting happiness and joy and fulfillment i think community has to be one of the major parts of that yeah absolutely i couldn't agree more i couldn't yeah. agree more um can i ask one last thing there's this in the high grade living book we mentioned this concept uh, we call it living Zengo Saidan, which is a Zen expression that means placing all your efforts into each day so that you have no regrets and no need to grieve or worry about what is in the past. And I then ex uh, further explain that it's about having nothing weighing upon you, taking responsibility and being proactive. And when we apply ourselves expansively and creatively to each task, the day feels full and real and not like a runaway train that we can never quite catch up to. Mm. For you, is there any, what would, what would a day or what would a creative, um, creative expression look like for you so that you have no regrets and no need to grieve at the end of the day? How, does, how do you bring yourself to each day so that you can live Zengo Saidan? Oh, Jackie, you have to send me that phrase. I love that because <laughs> I really, I really think, and this is actually why I wrote Make a Living Living, because I believe there is such a huge difference between making a living and making a life, mm. right? And I think that touches on that idea too. So it's not about just like doing the job and having your life kind of run you. It's about actually creating a life that is full of all other elements too. So for example, I love ritual. I love morning practices. I love waking up just before dawn and having time to meditate and have tea and do a bit of yoga and move my body and play with my dog. And I prioritize that time and I allow space for that every day because I know that without that, the rest of the day is not going to flow the way that I ideally would like it to. And also it's going to give me a feeling of regret if I reach the end of the day and I'm like, okay, well, I ticked all these boxes, but where was the juice? Where was the joy? Where was mm -hmm. the, where was the yumminess? You know, if I had one year to live, would I be, would I be glad that I just ticked all the boxes or would I want that delight as well? And then that comes in, in other parts of the day too, you know, taking a break in the afternoon to, to go for a nature walk or spend some time with my husband and then leaving space at the end of the day to really cook and listen to music and do all of those other things because it is not just about the work. And it's also like, that's how you invite those little moments of creativity into your day is through opening these windows through which it can come to you. Because if you were just like the discipline, sure is important. You have to show up. You have to be in a position to allow the work to get done. 
but you also need to allow that those creative threads to come to you so that you can really live a juicy and fulfilled life and actually just one more story from the book it was this couple um they have a business actually up in byron called church farm general store and they oh, they have this amazing philosophy where they said look the business that we have it's making beautiful natural soaps and sauces they said the business we have look let's face it it could be a lot bigger if we wanted it to be uh, and we love our business but what we love more is surfing our kids our friends so we've intentionally kept it at a certain size so that we can really marinate in all that other juicy stuff as well. So that's what I would really say, you know, to live, a, to live each day with no regrets is for me all about working all those other elements in. And, you know, we spend 84,000 hours on average working in our lives. So when you think about that figure and you go, okay, so I really need to make that as enjoyable, as delightful as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I used to have this fear that wasn't even identified uh, for a long time. But then once I saw it, I couldn't unsee it. And it was this ideology, particularly in my 20s, that if I wasn't working and I was enjoying myself, then I was going to somehow impact my work negatively, as opposed to what took me a while to learn and now I live by, like you do, is that if I am present, and fulfilled and happy person, then my work actually flourishes and I do so much better. And it's like, now I take more and more time. I know you and I have a similar schedule and that we take, we have pretty lengthy, gorgeous, luxurious mornings um, <laughs> to do our Zen tea ceremonies and to meditate and do all the things. But for me, then my productivity actually increases exponentially because I'm coming okay. to the work with more presence and with more joy, as opposed to, you know, slamming into it really early in the day and then having a longer work day. I found that a shorter work day with more time for myself and more time for my family and to do the things I love actually creates not just more output, but better quality work, which goes against the methodology that I was using probably the first decade of my life, which was like work more. I was like, no, it's the grindstone. I've got to work as hard as harder than everyone, longer than everyone. And therefore I'll get to be successful without actually questioning, well, what does a successful life look like? And, you know, mm. if that 84,000 hours on average, you know, for some people it's 120,000 hours on average, um, you know, and some people obviously less, it's really that moment of like, how am I bringing myself to my work? Yes. And I think that's also about bringing that what if question to your work life. You know, mm. we don't, that's an old paradigm, like nine to five. And it's hard once you've been in it, it's hard to break out of it. But I think we owe it to ourselves to ask, okay, let's play around with that. And it's different for everybody. You know, some people are like excellent working from say four till nine every morning and then leaving these beautiful long luxurious afternoons other people yeah maybe they actually really work very well nine to five that's totally fine it's just about finding experimenting playing with your actual construction of your work day finding mm. what works for you and then and then moving through that with joy and grace 
Yeah, and, and, and that, that auditing, just because it might have worked for a period of time doesn't mean it's going to work for this moment in time and also yes. means that it might not work in the future. The third part of the audit and the third is refine. So it's like we need to be auditing and then editing, letting go, removing, not necessarily adding in more. And then this gentle, continuous refinement, not being hold on, you're holding on tight to well, it's worked for three years. And so I've got to, you know, I think COVID has been great for that. So smashed all of that out of us. There's nothing to hold on to anymore. Oh. So the refining period is just now this endless refinement, which is so fun. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, we are living, breathing organisms. Let's not forget that we are flowing beings where, you know, we need to move with that. We change. We're on our I think seven different people throughout our lifetime. So we need to be constantly checking in with ourselves and going, Hey, is this still working? And, Oh, I can't wait to read that. Yes. The refining constant refinement. I love that. Good, good. Um, and your book make a living living can be found globally online, can't it? So for anyone listening, they can access that online or obviously you and I are also big bookstore supporters. Um, but it's exciting because it's a global release. So for anyone listening, <laughs> make sure you track it down because it's just filled with so many, what the thing I love about the book is there's so much practical. It's not just like, Oh, I feel so inspired. It's, I feel so inspired. And Oh, here's some really applicable tools on how I can actually take this philosophy and integrate it into my life. So um, for anyone listening, I highly, highly recommend it. Oh, thank you, Jackie. <laughs> Thanks so much for your time. And I'll speak to you soon. Thank you. Thank you, Jackie. Thanks so much for listening to the Broadplace High Grade Living Podcast. For more information on our interviewee, please see the show notes. For more information on the Broadplace, visit www.thebroadplace.com or hit us up on Instagram at thebroadplace. Our book, High Grade Living, can be purchased globally online or please ask any of your favorite book retailers to get your hands on a copy. Please remember, we also have a free 30-day calendar that goes with the High Grade Living book that you can jump on and download for free from our website within the classroom. This will help you action and bring to life everything that's featured within the book. Best of luck.